We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Everyday Acupuncture. Today is one of the occasional shows that I do where you've got just me. And the topic for today's show is meditation. The reason that I'd like to speak with you a bit about meditation today is it's something that's been in the news a lot. It's something that you hear about pretty much everywhere. It's become an extremely common part of American culture. And often my patients will talk to me about meditation or maybe trying to do it, and more in particular, the troubles that they've had with it. So I have a bit of experience with this, and between my own experience of having a somewhat stable meditative practice at this point and my own patients' experiences, I've got a few ideas I'd like to share with you today. So I've been meditating on and off sporadically since I was a teenager. And for a long, long time, I would do it mainly as a way to kind of get away from things. When life got a little overwhelming, meditation was a nice way to sort of check out and and not have to deal with things. Some years ago, when I was in Taiwan, I had an experience that was completely unusual. I had woken up early one morning. I was in Taipei. And I had big plans to go out, lots of stuff to do. It was one of my last days there on, a, on an extended trip. And I was really looking forward to getting out and getting on with the day. And as I was getting ready to pull myself together and walk out the door, I realized that if I was going to be as busy as I was going to be that day, I could really use a little stillness sort of to put underneath all the action that I would have. And I just sat down to meditate. And it's was an unusual thing for me because up until that point, I'd only sat to meditate to kind of get away from things or because I thought, you know, it's a good idea. People say it's a good idea. It's supposed to be a good idea. 
So I would either do it out of that sense of obligation to myself or because I was trying to escape. But this particular morning, it was different. There was, there was, I don't even know how to describe it, just sort of a palpable sense of if I can put a big puddle of stillness underneath me, then I'm going to have something to push off of in all the action that I had coming on in the day. Almost like filling up your tank if you know you're going on a long trip. And since that time, something shifted. Something in that that point of view of, oh, I'm going to be busy. I need this. That changed something. And since then, I've been sitting on quite a regular basis. And I will often talk to my patients about meditation because they often have a lot of questions. So why do I suggest meditation for my patients? Mostly, I think it's because you can't think your way out of thinking. And constant ruminative thought is often at the root of so many issues that people have when they describe themselves as being anxious or depressed or out of sorts. I hear this all the time in my clinic. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not suggesting that meditation cures anxiety or depression. In fact, while there's all kinds of studies that recommend meditation for its ability to help with a whole range of issues all along the spectrum, from psychoemotive to pain from plain old back pain from a slipped disc or chronic pain from arthritis, I'm going to float you a counterintuitive idea. I think it's best to approach meditation without the expectation that it gives you anything. I know this goes against everything that you're going to read on the internet and goes against things that you read in magazines and books. And really, it goes against our usual human way of going about our lives, which is usually some sort of quid pro quo, I'm going to do this sort of arrangement with life. You know, I'm going to do this so I can get that. If I behave in this way, I'm going to get this thing I want. We're constantly making this deal with the universe. And with meditation, it's this lovely opportunity to just sort of drop that. I have a suspicion, based on nothing other than a stable meditative practice of my own, that meditation is actually most helpful when we ask it to do nothing for us. I'm going to talk more about that later in this podcast. I want to get back to why this seems to be so helpful for so many of my patients that have anxiety or depression. Quite often at the root of the issue are a few annoying thoughts. And most of us will create elaborate structures of habit or of thinking to avoid the discomfort of these thoughts. Honestly, I don't think any of us are immune to this. And the connections between our thinking and how that influences our biology in terms of neuropeptides and endocrinology are quite well documented these days. You can refer to the work of Dr. Candace Pert or Bruce Lipton for some insights on how our biology and psychology really are two sides of the same coin. The answer to thinking is not more thinking. It's the ability to drop thought. Right in the middle of the muddle, just drop it. And that's where meditation is helpful, as it's the practice of dropping thought, just letting it go. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about meditation, what it is and what it isn't. And lots of people think they can't meditate because they fail really at something that nobody can succeed at. 
Let's take a look at each of these misconceptions and inquire a bit into them. There's a few of them here. Number one, you're supposed to be able to turn off your mind. Number two, it should be a peaceful experience. Number three, it's a shortcut to making your life better. Yeah, that one's hilarious. Number four, I'll never again be angry or impatient. Number five, it's an escape from real life. And number six, I'm actually going to get something out of this. If you have spent any time at all with meditation, you'll know that these above six simply are not true. Meditation doesn't turn your mind off. Human minds are constantly squeezing out thoughts, much like the pancreas secretes insulin or the gallbladder drips out bile. It's just what our minds do. Meditation will not stop your thoughts, but with practice, it can help you find some spaciousness in between those thoughts. And more importantly, in a moment of being emotionally triggered, you might find out you have some extra time to choose your action rather than being a slave to your reactivity. Some years ago, I went to a couple week long retreat at the Upaya Zen Center in northern New Mexico. I was just beginning to really get a stable meditative practice at that point. I met this guy there, and he'd been at it for about 10 years at that point. And we had a conversation, and I asked him, I said, hey, what, you know, what have you seen change in your life? I mean, anything different after doing this for 10 years? And he looks at me and says, yeah, I went from having a two-second to a five-second fuse. And he could tell by the look on my face what I was thinking, namely, a five-second fuse? What are you doing still getting angry? I mean, he could just read my mind on that one. And he, he continues. He looks at me and he just goes, do you have any idea how much trouble, suffering, and discord I have avoided by having an extra three seconds? It really brought me up short, and it really got me thinking about this. You know, we'll often expect meditation to change our life in some incredibly dramatic way, but Really, it's these little, tiny, extra moments that can make a huge difference. The experience of meditation might be peaceful at moments, but more often, it's like you're sitting in front of a mirror that shows you what is constantly going through your own mind and the panorama of emotions that accompanies that. You know, unlike the internet is constantly advertising, there are no shortcuts to making your life better. Tricks, hacks, shortcuts, other clickbait-like invitations to instantly transform yourself into a different version of yourself are usually thinly veiled ways to try to sell you something. I've heard it said, what's in the way is the way. Now, when I first heard this, I had no idea what it meant, but I liked the inherent contradiction that it seemed to contain. Later, I came to realize what's in the way is the way. What it really meant was do the work. Whatever the work is you're being called to, that's what you need to do. It's not for the faint of heart. And being able to cultivate some equanimity for the journey is helpful. As far as anger and impatience are concerned, that goes along with being human. Meditation doesn't make those things go away. In fact, You don't want them to go away. 
These feelings can be the source of valuable information. Anger lets you know when your boundaries have been trespassed on. Anger can be a powerful source of motivation. You know, with the exception of a few rare individuals, there are not many contented people that make big changes in the world. One of the helpful things about meditation is it can help you with getting to the underlying issue that arises as anger and give you a little more room between feeling angry and taking some kind of action, like that fellow at Upaya was telling me about. Sometimes, really, going from that two-second fuse to a five-second fuse can save you a world of trouble and a world of regret. Many times, meditation is equated with a retreat from life, a withdrawal from the concerns and tribulations that greet us upon arising each morning. But especially when you are sitting with yourself, there is no escape. This is one of the prime reasons people think that they can't meditate. They run smack dab into what they'd like to avoid. Those thoughts we can usually keep below the surface with our busyness and activity, they naturally bubble up when we take a shot at stillness. We think we fail because we find that which we'd like to avoid on the way to stillness, and so decide that stillness is beyond us. We think we're incapable. Actually, meditation is anything but a retreat from the world. If anything, it's an invitation to more fully inhabit what is truly unfolding in the moment. The tricky part is that most of us happen to have opinions about what's unfolding. And those opinions, thoughts, and the entangled feelings that go with them tend to get us all stirred up. Now, this isn't to say that stillness can't arise. Indeed, stillness can arise in meditation, as can clarity. But it can't be forced. It can be invited, demanded, eh, not so much. I've heard it said that people come to meditation thinking they're opening a treasure house, only to find that they're in the middle of a riot. Meditation contrary to popular belief, isn't about getting rid of your thoughts. It's the practice of having the thoughts, but not letting them have you. It's the practice of noticing your thoughts instead of reacting to them. And of noticing your reactions, but not letting them move you into action. Meditation isn't about having a still mind, but it doesn't mean that stillness might not arise on its own. And then there's the idea we're either going to get something from meditation or there's its corollary, I'm going to get rid of something. You know, it's kind of like one of those Chinese finger puzzles that you might have played with as kids. It's like a little basket where you put two fingers in and then you pull and the basket closes. And the harder you pull, the more the fingers get trapped inside. So in a very counterintuitive move, The way to get out of the puzzle is not by pulling harder and trying to get away. It's by leaning into it. And it's quite a bit like that with meditation. Asking meditation to give us something tightens up that knot. Instead, it can be helpful to have a practice that you give yourself to without any desire to try to get something back out of it. Drop the I'll do this so I can get that. How often in your life Do you do anything that is a surrender into something without asking for something in return? 
Really, pause for a moment and consider this. Much like gratitude is the antidote to feeling a lack of something in your life, giving yourself to a practice, and really it can be any practice, without a desire or expectation for return, can loosen some of the constraints that we often put on life. I know it sounds like a contradiction, but as writer Tom Robbins says, paradox is the engine that runs the universe. I've got a few suggestions for those who'd like to consider building a meditative practice. First, I'd like to recommend a free 30-day trial. Now, I'm a big fan of free 30-day trials. You'll see this on the internet for software and services and all that sort of thing. 30-day free trials are great. Number one, they're free. Number two, they last 30 days. It's only 30 days. It's not the rest of your life. And what I mean by try a 30-day free trial is you might want to consider doing meditation every day on a consistent basis for 30 days. Do it as an experiment just to see what happens, right? So rather than arguing with yourself or thinking, can I do it? Can I not do it? Give yourself 30 days. Choose a certain amount of time. It could be five minutes. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 15, whatever. It doesn't matter the amount of time. What matters is that it's consistent. What matters is you set a timer and you sit with your meditation until the timer goes off. If you're having a really awful time, you sit the entire time that you set. And if you're having a really lovely time, you also only sit the amount of time that you set. In 30 days, you can look back and see, how does it feel? Is this something that you'd like to continue? And if it is, then you can. And if you decide you don't want to, you haven't wasted anything. You've spent 30 days on an interesting inquiry. Nothing wrong with that. The next thing about meditation, remember, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. Consistency is way better than length, right? So with brushing your teeth, you want to do it a couple of few times. You want to do it every single day. You don't want to do it for 20 minutes on Saturday. Consistency is really very, very important with this. In terms of methods, there's lots of different methods. Now, I tend to prefer very simple breath meditation. And the reason for that is because I don't need a cell phone. I don't need an app earplugs. I mean, whatever. I'm not dependent on something outside of myself. As I see it, the breath is always with me. And it's the simplest form of meditation. And again, you don't need anything other than your ability to breathe and your ability to pay attention to your breath. Now, in the process of meditating, you will get distracted. Your attention is going to wander from your focus Meditation is not about that floaty, quiet, still feeling in the mind that you imagine. It's really more about recognizing that you've wandered and returning back from your wanderings. One of my meditation teachers, and this really blew my mind when he said it, said that meditation is not about that quiet feeling while you're sitting on your cushion. He said, meditation is the moment that you recognize that you have wandered away and you come back to your breath. One of the other benefits of using the breath as meditation is that this attention to your attention 
can arise anytime you're breathing. And so troubles at work, difficulties with your spouse, your own arguments with yourself, you might find that you've got a little extra breathing room in there and a little space where you get to choose your action instead of being driven by reactivity. Now, in terms of a posture, you don't need to sit cross-legged on the floor, but you do need to find a posture that has your spine straight, your shoulders over your hips, and your ears over your shoulders. Laying down is not advised as we don't want to confuse meditation with sleep. I also have a suggestion about meditation apps that give you the ability to rate your meditation. Uh, Personally, I think this is a little bit problematic. Really? Rating your meditation? Rating it in regards to what? Rating your meditation, to me, seems like a good way to destroy a meditative practice. Because we're not looking to bring a discerning mind, a judging mind to this practice. We're simply looking to have this practice and see where it takes us. Rating meditation really seems to be a bit counterproductive. Finally, if you'd like an introduction to breath meditation, even though I don't use an app myself, there's tons of them out there on the internet, and I've got friends and patients that, that have them and use them and find them really, really helpful. So that's one place to start. There's plenty of websites that you can go to, and they'll teach you meditation online. Uh, there's your local Zen center or probably even your local YMCA is going to have some sort of an introduction to meditation. Uh, Another place that you could begin is with episode number 26 of this podcast, where I uh, interview a Zen monk. And if you go to the show notes page of number 26, I believe, as I recall, it's called uh, Zen is Not About Relaxation. If you go to the show notes page there, scroll down to the bottom, there'll be a 10-minute introduction to breath meditation. Well, there you have it. That's my two cents on meditation. As with anything, I would encourage you not to take my word for it, but really, go do your own exploration. I hope that you found this helpful, and if you have any comments, suggestions, leave a comment over on the show notes page. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment... Click on the iTunes review button and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week. 